You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx. Uh, joining me today is one of our contributing writers uh, who I've had on before. You'll recognize his voice and some of his work from Lynx Magazine and LynxMagazine.com. His name is David DeSmith. David, thank you for joining me today. How's it going? Going great and uh, glad to be here, Al. Thank you for joining me again. And uh, this is another part of a, a series of podcasts that we've done in the past where we like to kind of cover a few of the big feature pieces um, within the print magazine. David pinned a piece for our upcoming, um, or I guess by the time you listen to this podcast, it may already be in homes, um, the winter 2021 issue. Uh, David, the assignment was to kind of explore where technology is going to take the game of golf, I think. And maybe you can explain this a little bit better than I am. Um, but David took a look at um, the future of golf technology and where we're headed. Um, and it's a really, really interesting, fantastic, kind of fantastical, kind of, you know, part imagination, part looking at, the trends that are there, what is the natural progression of things for golf technology? Anyways, I'm rambling. David, what was kind of the idea of your piece on high-tech golf here, uh, and how did you approach it? Yeah, well, it was it was certainly a very interesting assignment. Um, you know, technology is, uh, you know, interacting with our lives in so many ways nowadays uh, that it only made sense to take a look at, uh, you know, the ways in which golf is being affected by technology uh, both today and then uh, you know looking down the road a little bit at some of the things that uh, some of the ways that tech uh, you know might continue to evolve uh, the game of golf and, and not just the game of golf but um, the the different ways we might you know quote unquote play golf and I understand that you uh, you talk to a bunch of people, um, futurist club manufacturers, you mentioned, um, different technologists from golf governing, golf's governing bodies, um, even computer scientists. Uh, what were those conversations like for you? Um, I'm sure that it was just kind of broadening your horizons a little bit. Yeah, they, you know, they were a lot of fun in part because some of these guys, uh, you know, aren't really golfers or certainly not uh, devoted avid golfers. The way you and I are, and and the way your listeners will be, um, you know, they they know about golf. Some of them, uh, you know, play a little bit of golf, um, but they were all very eager to, uh, you know, kind of explore the edges of uh, the different ways that tech may affect golf, and uh, you know, many of the conversations uh, devolved into uh, some very technical jargon. 
uh, which, you know, I did my best in the article to, to leave that out and or turn it into language that people could understand. Uh, but I learned a lot of acronyms and a lot of big words and learned some things about tech uh, in general that I didn't know before. Um, but I think, you know, to a person, uh, you know, the overall uh, uh, point of view that they had was that, you know, they felt that uh, technology would be something that would um, positively affect the game going forward, um, not be something that would detract from it or turn it into something that people don't want. And I think there's always that fear with technology that, uh, you know, that it, it might somehow take over uh, and change the good things that we like about, uh, you know, various aspects of life. Uh, so it was good to hear that positivity from them. And I think as we explored the different ways that, uh, that the technology might play a role in, in golf, um, it really underscored the, uh, you know, the idea that, that they were right, you know, that, that most of these things uh, end up being very positive for, for golfers, for clubs, for course maintenance people, um, you know, and right on down the line. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you made. There are certainly people who will read the article or um, listen to this podcast and think um, that some of these things maybe could take away from the pureness of the golf game. Um, but it sounds like um, from the conversations you had, most of the things that you discuss, um, it's, it's more of a, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, it's going to be of great benefit, but it's not necessarily going to be the, the root of, of golf and the golf experience. It's just going to be another option for people who want to, to see the game go places. It hasn't really gone before. Um, so, and you mentioned there were some things that you, you learned that you didn't know before, which kind of leads me to another question I had for you. Um, was there anything through the course of your conversations um, and, and your learning of new things, was, it, was there anything particularly that surprised you um, about where technology is and where it's going? I think the probably the one thing that surprised me most was the degree to which automation uh, and the use of robotics is already uh, making inroads into the course maintenance world. So, you know, in, in, in the old days, uh, you know, you would have a sprinkler system with some pop-up heads here and there, and it would be up to the superintendent to, you know, using his eyes mainly, uh, and core, core samples and things like that, you know, keep an eye on the health of the turf um, in, in a very sort of, you know, one-on-one -on -one personal uh, way. With, you know, with the advent of, uh, of automation and sensor equipment that can be placed around golf courses, uh, so much can be done uh, to provide better playing conditions at lower cost. So, you know, a sensor that's near the 11th green, for example, uh, you know, can tell their superintendent remotely, uh, you know, this area is not getting enough water or there's not enough nitrogen in this part of the golf course. And that's why you're seeing this brown turf here. And, you know, in effect, that can actually trigger, you know, an automated uh, water watering uh, program response. 
um, which you know takes a lot of the guesswork out of uh, out of that kind of work. Uh, and the same thing with with robotics. Uh, you know, uh, there are robotic mowers now that uh, sometime in the not too distant future, people will encounter cutting the rough uh, while they're playing, um, and uh, you know they they can do a very good job of it. And the the cost of that, you know, brings down a, a facility's labor costs, so it can help keep the cost of golf in line. Um, so I, I think in, in, in those areas, you know, the course maintenance areas to know that so much of it is already, uh, you know, happening and, and even more still on the drawing board. And I'm sure that, you know, many, many, many courses will look to adopt that kind of uh, technology going forward. Yeah, I love the technology or the um, terminology you used uh, an armada of GPS equipped Roomba-like robots that have spent the night cutting grass, conditioning bunkers, and applying precise amounts of organic fertilizers and insecticides. I could see that in my head, just a bunch of little Roombas, almost like vacuums, just going yeah. around mid-round. Um, almost yeah. like, yeah, nothing to see here, just, you know, maintaining the course, um, almost as if you, uh, when you see a guy mowing or, or watering a green you have to wait on him it's not it's like that would be a thing of the past as well that's uh, right you could keep going um so potential pace of play uh plus there i guess um, absolutely when you were doing starting to do the piece and, and and coming up with ideas uh i don't know how long you've been you know fascinated by this world of, of tech uh, in golf, but I sent you an email of questions to to kind of get your your brain thinking on uh, products and golf tech over the years. And I just kind of wanted to see from you were were there certain things technology is progressing so rapidly these days, it seems, but were there have there been things uh, in the past, whether it's technology um, or products? that have made an impression on you and something that you, you use and were like, this is incredible. This changes completely the way how I approach a X part of my game. Um, is there anything that you can recall that you were like, wow, this is really cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think, I think, you know, the, the history of the game of golf is, is full of those kinds of innovations, um, you know, that have, you know, our, our, the pace of them, I think, is advancing a bit more quickly now than it did in, in days of yore. Um, but, you know, if you think back, you know, I, I'm not old enough to have remembered when the feathery turned into the Haskell ball. Um, but, you know, what a huge advancement that was because featheries were very, very expensive to make. So only rich people could have them and only rich people could play golf you know, that the Haskell ball changed all that and really democratized golf in a big way, you know, way back in the early 1900s. So, you know, from, from that point on, you know, innovation has, has been a part of golf. And, you know, in, in my lifetime though, I guess, uh, you know, I would point back to a few things that, that struck me through the years. One was the emergence of the ping answer putter. You know, prior to that time, everybody was using, uh, you know, the old Kushnet, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Not the bullet, the um, bullseye. 
um, you know, or a, or a blade putter of some kind. And, you know, here came this heel toe weighted center shafted goosenecked ping answer putter uh, that looked like something from Mars, you know, in its day and age. But, you know, the technology behind it, you know, the idea of, of promoting, uh, you know, a, a longer moment of inertia and keeping the putter face more on, on path. Uh, was revolutionary. And now you look at modern day putters and so many of them are based on that basic concept. So, you know, that would be one. And of course, uh, you know, the, the uh, McGregor response putter that Jack won the 86 masters masters with uh, clay longs, you know, beautiful CT 615 res response putter, uh, you know, was built on the same idea, um, you know, of higher moment of inertia and, you know, allowing you to keep the, the, the putter head on path better. Um, and, you know, and we've seen that go on. So, you know, that was, that was kind of the earliest one. I remember the ping answer, you know, then along came the big Bertha, uh, you know, not the first metal wood, but the first oversized titanium metal wood. And, you know, going from my old Tony Pena persimmon driver to that big Bertha was like stepping into a completely new world. Uh, the size of it, the look of it, uh, and yet it was still lightweight. And when you hit that thing, you know, it just went. Uh, and of course, you know, that's given rise to all the oversized clubs we have now and eventually to, you know, the USGA and, and the RNA needing to cap driver size so that things didn't get too out of control. Uh, but, you know, what, a, what an engineering feat that was, um, you know, the use of titanium and you know, the same kind of thing going for, you know, that higher MOI uh, capability within a club. Uh, you know, then you had the TaylorMade R7, um, which was, you know, the first club with movable weights in the back of the club head, um, you know, that allowed you to, you know, fine tune your center of gravity and, you know, tailor the club a little bit to your swing type. Um, you know, the, the Callaway Fusion driver came along then, which was, you know, really the first uh, multi-material head uh, driver using carbon fiber, you know, so now the engineers are able to put weight where they want it to be and lessen weight in other areas, uh, you know, and right up until, you know, the, you know, recent days where the, the Callaway Epic Flash uh, was designed with the use of artificial intelligence. And, you know, I think we're going to see much more use of AI in club design uh, going forward. And, you know, without going into a lot of technical details, that was one of the topics that I discussed with one of the futurists at some length. And, you know, the idea that you have these, these generative, air, uh, generative networks that are in effect kind of doing battle with each other to help come up with the optimum design um, in an AI, in an AI sense, uh, is really, really interesting. Um, you know, and then, you know, aside from all that, uh, you know, the solid core ball, uh, moving away from wound balls and into the solid core balls and particularly, you know, as they advance, you know, into the era of the pro V one and, uh, you know, the, the incredible increases in distance that players were able to get using the pro V one when it first came out and, course now there are many solid core balls that you know provide those same kind of uh, benefits so those are you know those are some of the ones I've seen in terms of equipment over the years and the other big one um, you know in, in my lifetime you know was the introduction of golf simulators 
um, and you know taking golf off the golf course and allowing you to you know have a golf experience uh, in a room and you know whether it's going into midtown Manhattan to play golf at golf and body or being able to play at your home club in the winter um, you know just the ability to, to swing and play something like golf where you're looking at a golf course and in some cases you know famous golf courses how many people have played Pebble Beach in a simulator, you know, that, that, that will never ever get a chance to set foot on the course necessarily. Um, so, you know, th that allowed the game to, uh, you know, to expand to an indoor uh, arena uh, in a way that's been hugely beneficial, I think. Yeah. It's very interesting to see um, the rise of simulators becoming a part of private or public golf clubs as an amenity to members as well. I know my, my club um, that my parents belong to just added a simulator and indoor hitting bay to the driving range because it's, it's become in part in such demand um, to be able to uh, not only play whenever um, and practice whenever, um, but to experience the virtual game as well, at, but still have it be a physical in nature, not necessarily just playing a video game, but actually going through the motions of a full round. And that was one of the things that I was particularly intrigued by in your article. Um, the idea of incorporating that with a 360 degree treadmill is really, is really intriguing to me. Um, because not only are you incorporating the actual swinging and hitting aspect of real golf, in quotes, um, you're incorporating the walking from shot to shot, too. And um, I don't know how advanced it can get, but incorporating different lies and, and pitch angles. If you're on a side hill, is there a way that you can add incline? Um, that's something I've seen when I was thinking about golf tech products that have made an impression on me um, recently, I've, I've seen there's a putting uh, simulator of from full swing called the virtual green that can actually change contours. So you can practice left to right, right to left, uphill, downhill putts. Uh, and it also, at, as you putt, it shows you your putt track almost like, um, TrackMan and shot tracer technology um that one to me was like wow that's groundbreaking in terms of being able to to practice putting from home uh, or anywhere really you can change the setting of of your entire practice putting experience others that really over time that i've thought i can starkly remember being impressed by um it seems kind of, uh, you know, benign now, but the first time I saw my dad use, he has one of those uh, voice caddies that clips to your hat that's essentially just a Bluetooth uh, GPS with a, a guy that tells you how, how far it is to the front, middle, and back of the green. The first time he click, clicked his hat and told him how far he had the hole, <laughs> I'm like, what is that thing? Like, are you kidding me? Um, that... Uh, the seeing the the GPS and golf carts kind of evolve has been interesting um, from just simple yardage and 
um, course maps to actually uh, the different features on the monitors now um, are incredible. Uh, and then the first time I was stopped when I entered a restricted a restricted area on my golf cart, it made me back up. It's like, <laughs> right. are you kidding me? Like, yeah, they can actually do this and make you drive the carts where you want to go. Yeah. Um, and then autonomous push carts have now, I, every now and then you'll see playing a round of golf, a person walking and just kind of following slowly behind them is their golf clubs and a little golf cart. Uh, so little, little ways that tech has, has crept into the golf world that have been to me seemingly remarkable. Yeah. And, and, and you're, those are good examples of, you know, instances where, you know, the, the GPS technology, uh, really does provide all kinds of great benefits. One, uh, one of your examples, and I don't know how, how far you dug into this, um, that I thought was also very intriguing. Um, I'll read a little excerpt from your column. It's about RFID chips. And so you talked about how the private, private club experience of the future, the instant you pass through the gate of your geofenced club, an RFID chip triggers a series of events. The pro shop and starter are notified. Your, group, your golf bag is retrieved by a robotic arm from its storage space and placed on your electric smart trolley which then moves itself to the practice range. A text message is sent to the club's food and beverage staff, listing the 10 beverages you've made and informing them of the current availability of those items in the kitchen and bar. Before your self-driving rideshare taxi is even dropped you at the door, your club is ready to give you a royal welcome. I thought that was really intriguing in part because I know a little bit about RFID uh, chips and tracking um, the one example I had was I, I worked for the staff at the MLS all-star game and they used RFID wristbands to be able to determine who had certain access to different levels of, um, you know, can you go to this party? Can you attend this event? Um, where are you allowed access to, um, but what did you learn about RFIDs that could really open up a new experience at golf clubs? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's it, it's an interesting technology. And, you know, a lot of what you just recited uh, is possible right now. You know, those technologies exist for, you know, clubs to be able to be automatically alerted uh, when you get on the property and you know, by the way, those can also track you wherever you go on the property. You know, your, your club will know which tee you're on, even if you're walking, if that ship is active. And, you know, there's a little bit of a big brother-ish uh, aspect to that, which, you know, some, some clubs may not like the idea of. Um, but in, from a service standpoint, uh, you know, being able to automate some of those things and allow the club to provide better service to you based on knowing where you are uh, and the ability to connect that technology to, you know, other, uh, other data. And many of these technologies that we're talking about are, are really are data driven. So for example, if, 
you know, when I pull into my club and my RFID chip alerts the club that I am there, uh, you know, instantly that could tell the food and beverage manager, hey, David is back. Uh, he's the guy that likes lobster rolls and Guinness and, uh, you know, Springbank 16 whiskey. Uh, make sure we've got some. Or it might tell the pro shop, uh, you know, to do something in particular that I've asked them to do in preparation for my round. Or it might alert, you know, the teaching pro that I'm there for my lesson. So there, you know, there are some great efficiencies that can be, uh, you know, that can come out of it. It's going to be up to the club and the club members to decide, you know, which of those they want to take advantage of. But, you know, the ability to, uh, to have that kind of location service, uh, you know, I, I think has a ton of potential benefits. And, you know, over time, I think you know, players and clubs will decide which of those are important to them and, and truly beneficial and which are just gimmicks. Um, but uh, I, I do see it being something that will, you know, increase service levels at the clubs that decide to take advantage of them. Right. Um, of the, the topics that we've discussed or, or the other topics within your piece, um, and maybe we've already talked about it, but um, what trends that did you learn about um, through your research are you most excited to see develop and come to fruition in future years? Yeah, well, a, a lot of them. Um, you know, like I said, I think so many of them are positive things, maybe not to every single golfer, but, but definitely to different groups of golfers. You know, you touched on uh, launch monitors, for example, you know, what, what TrackMan and, and the other launch monitor companies are doing in terms of being able to give individual golfers, you know, real-time feedback on ball flight and club path and some of those things, uh, you know, is going to give people the opportunity to become better golfers at a pretty low cost. Now, they're never going to be a substitute for having a good PGA teaching professional work with you. But in between lessons, to be able to take advantage of that technology. And, you know, by the way, some of that technology can, you know, automatically send data to your teaching pro so that he can look at not just what he's seeing on during the hour he's giving you a lesson, but he can look at other data uh, to see what you're doing. Uh, so that one's really, uh, I, I think, can be a game changer for people. And in the same way that a lot of the performance analysis apps uh, that are out today now, um, you know, like V1 game or Arcos or ShotScope. Um, you know, the, I, I believe the Arcos people say that if you use their product for a year, on average, you'll take four strokes off your handicap. So, uh, you know, that's saying a lot, but the truth is that, you know, if you're diligent and you want that kind of information, you can learn so much from putting those, those kind of shot tracking and uh, performance analysis tools uh, to work for you. Um, so just in terms of, you know, increasing someone's ability to play well and hence their pleasure in the game, uh, you know, those two are really cool. Um, you know, outside the, the mainstream of, you know, golf courses and golf, you know, we, we can't neglect to mention top golf, you know, and the, the, the gamification, if you will, of, you know, of golf equipment where, you know, I, I, you don't need a golf course to have fun with a golf club and a golf ball. Um, 
you know, I think that's just kind of the, the, the beginning of where that trend could end up going. And we've seen how popular they are and it's a lot of fun and you don't need to be uh, an avid golfer, or even an experienced golfer to go have fun doing that. Um, so I think that's good for the game. Um, you know, on the, uh, uh, in terms of virtual reality, you know, you touched on the, um, uh, you know, where that might go. And, you know, I can, I can absolutely foresee a future in which, um, you know, very well-heeled people uh, who are building custom homes will have very large, uh, you know, VR and golf environments in which, uh, you know, they can instantly play with their friends around the world and feel like they're in the same room with them, you know, by the use of virtual reality uh, programming and, um, you know, uh, all kinds of measurement devices and sensors and those types of things. And, uh, and, I, and I think that will be, you know, that will make its way down to, to everyone in, in, in kind of the same way that, uh, you know, there, there are currently some virtual reality uh, golf games that you can strap on an Oculus headset uh, and play uh, existing designs or even designs that have been created, uh, you know, in, in the world of the internet, virtual courses uh, that, are, that are quite good and a lot of fun. And, but they're, you know, they're fairly early on in their development. You know, they'll, they will increase in terms of their uh, accuracy and their, um, you know, the way that they can better mirror reality uh, over time, just the way simulators have. Um, but, you know, the idea of being able to, uh, you know, play golf with someone who's in Saudi Arabia or Dubai um, or on the West Coast or in Japan um, and, you know, put on a virtual, uh, a pair of virtual glasses, be able to talk to that person, uh, be able to walk the fairway with that person and comment on their shots. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's all really exciting. And you know, then you have, uh, you know, the, the half step back from that, which is, you know, augmented reality. So in other words, you know, I could be walking, you know, my home golf course, but if I'm using an augmented reality program, uh, someone, you know, for fun uh, could, you know, could allow me to put on a pair of augmented reality glasses and using that program have fairways that are lined with palm trees you know, in Northern Maine or have a gigantic sea monster rising up from the, from the water hazard in front of the 13th hole, um, you know, and, and on and on and on. And, uh, you know, you'd have people with avatars, right? I'd be, I could be playing with my partners and one of them could look like Hulk Hogan, you know, or, or whomever. Yeah. Uh, so there's a fun aspect to that, you know, the, the gamification of, of, of some of those kinds of things. I think has a potential to, you know, make golf a little more fun, maybe, uh, you know, expand the number of people who play golf. And, you know, there are always going to be, uh, you know, uh, conservative golf purists who want none of that. And that's absolutely fine. Um, you know, no, no one's going to force them to put on a pair of AR glasses and have that kind of experience if they don't want to. Um, but when you talk about growing the game, you know, that's a, that's a good way to do it. And, um, you know, another, another trend we didn't really touch on, but I think it's worth mentioning is with regards to course design, um, 
you know, through the years, uh, you know, certainly during, you know, my adult lifetime, there have been swings back and forth between trying to create courses that are championship courses, right, that are quite difficult. And, you know, it's 7,500 yards from the back tees. And, you know, you got to pick your tee boxes carefully. Um, and the, you know, the, the difficult factor was part of what a course would crow about to its audience. There's a movement away from that. And if you look at courses like, uh, you know, Castle Stewart in Scotland, right, was designed specifically uh, to, you know, give people generous fairways off the tee, um, to give them greens that, you know, maybe were a little bit easier to hit, but maybe harder to two putt. Um, and David Kidd's course at Mammoth Dunes, you know, David had designed some pretty difficult golf courses over the years, you know, wonderful courses, um, but intentionally, you know, challenging. But, you know, you look at Mammoth Dunes and, you know, he has talked about the fact that one of his primary goals there was to make that course more fun to play, um, making it a little bit easier for the average golfer, you know, while still retaining the challenge for the top players, you know, this, the scratch player or pro, um, so I, you know, I think that's an important trend too in terms of, of growing the game and pace of play, um, and you know now in the in the uh, you know COVID nineteen era that we're in, it's been really heartening to see the trend of walking uh, emerge more, you know, in part because more people are playing, uh, in part because people didn't necessarily want to share carts with people, or in some places walking was even required as opposed to being in a cart. Um, but, you know, to see people walking the course is a trend that, uh, you know, that I hope continues, you know, I've always believed that walking is a more enjoyable way to play the game. It's certainly better exercise. And, you know, in my experience, and this is just me, but I always play better when I'm walking. So love to see that trend happening. Yeah. I, a couple of things on that. I, I'm with you about walking. I even, um, put a push cart on my Christmas list this year because um, I, I love the emphasis on walking and I was ready to, to be a part of the, the push cart mafia, as they say. Um, <laughs> I can absolutely vouch for Mammoth Dunes is one of the most fun courses I've ever played, I think. Um, and it's, ex it's exactly that. You could feel free to hit it wherever you wanted to, but it, it's not that it's not challenging because um, it's not, easy to, to get it in the hole still, but it does make, um, it more enjoyable, I think for anyone who would approach that course. Um, and then going back to your conversation on VR, um, and you mentioned in the piece, uh, the idea that Arnold Palmer could welcome you at the first tee at Latrobe sounded pretty cool. And, um, then the, the concept of being able to compete in a, in a, uh, open championship e open against thousands of people across the world and and you can play and see how you fare um at royal st george's would also be attractive i think to me too i haven't yet tried an oculus um, but i've heard really cool things about uh vr and um that can only continue to grow my last question to you would be um i know you did an extensive amount of research on this topic. Um, if you were going to suggest to someone, you know, different outlets to try to, to learn more about this topic, would you 
be able to tell them a direction to go? Or is it as simple as Google whatever topic I wrote about in here and you'll find a plethora of different things to expand on? Yeah, you know, it's that's a good question, Al. You know, I, th I think the first thing I would recommend to people who are interested in, you know, this kind of futurism as it applies to golf would be, would be to read the book that uh, Bob Labance wrote called Golf in the Year 2100. Uh, Bob, who has sadly passed away uh, from ALS uh, many years ago, uh, was a terrific, terrific writer and a real visionary. And, you know, that book is, is much more fictional, but it is amazing how many of the things he talks about in that book are slowly coming to fruition. Um, so I would start with that one because it's such a fun read and it absolutely opens your eyes to, uh, you know, amazing possibilities. You know, one of the things that he postulates in that book, for example, is the, the idea of uh, courses that would be environmentally controlled and that you could, uh, if you had the honor on the 15th tee, for example, you could dial up the, the wind in your face factor if you're the longer of the two hitters uh, and, and, and all these crazy things. So, you know, that book's a really fun read. Uh, you know, beyond that, I think it's, it's, it's the areas to keep an eye on, uh, you know, our AR augmented reality and virtual reality. And there is, there's good information online with particularly with regards to what's available in the realm of virtual reality for golf right now. Um, I would encourage everyone to go buy an Oculus headset and uh, download one of the, uh, the VR golf games uh, and, and buy the controller that comes with it and just have fun in your off hours. The, you know, the beauty of that also is I don't need four hours to go do that. I can pick that up and do that for 30 minutes or 15 minutes at, you know, over my lunchtime in my office if I want to, uh, you know, or on a Saturday morning before I take the kids to play soccer or whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a terrific resource. Um, you know, the, um, the golf course uh, maintenance books, uh, you know, have several good articles on what's going on in that realm. You know, if you're into, if you're into turf grass issues and, uh, you know, particularly if you're on a greens committee at a golf course, I would strongly recommend that you uh, get up to speed on those technologies because they're, you know, they're here. Uh, they could save clubs a lot of money and, and improve playing conditions. And, uh, you know, beyond that, um, you know, read Scientific American and, and uh, make the connections yourself. <laughs> well, David's piece, uh, if you open up Lynx Magazine, once you have the issue, uh, it's on page 66. The, the article is called, You'll Still Have to Swing, which we love that part of it, too. And there's still a swing aspect. To yeah, a lot it of still these has ideas. to be golf. Yeah, still has to be golf, right? Um, thank you, David, for for joining me and, and helping break down some of this stuff. Um, now you've got my brain working, and I want to go explore and and maybe go see if it's in the budget to get an Oculus headset. I think I'm gonna have to try that sooner rather than later. Um, and we also hope that this has inspired you to to think of new ways that you can approach the game of golf, or ways that uh, technology can help your golf game. Um, whether from a convenience standpoint or a performance standpoint, there's a lot out there that is evolving in the game of golf. David, thank you again. 
Always a pleasure to talk to you. Let's do it again soon. Thank you, Al. Great to see you. Great to see you as well. All right. Take care. Cheers.